Good morning, all you chocoholics out there. We've got one sweet program for you today. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And um, as I said, this is sweet, sweet, sweet. Starting with one of our favorite guys, uh, Tom Rogan of Goodnow Farms. Uh, he's been on before. He keeps winning all these rewards, sweeping all the uh, dark chocolate categories for the Sophie Awards. Um, in other words, he makes a pretty good Pretty mean, pretty mean chocolate. That's, that's <laughs> for sure. Chocolate. And, and of course, we, we, we don't like chocolate, so we don't eat any of it. <laughs> let's, let's listen to what our good friend Tom had to say. Yes, we're going to try talking to Tom Rogan. Um, we had a disruption the last time we tried with the loss of um, cell phone connection. But uh, we're going to start at the beginning, and Tom's going to tell us all about Goodnow Farms. Chocolate started with why it's called Goodnow Farms. Okay, so yes, nice to be on the program again. Thanks for doing this and for your interest in craft chocolate. Um, it's good you know, stuff. It's, I mean, good it, it, Well, yes. Yeah, that's why we call it Goodnow Farms. It's good stuff. You told us the last time. <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's all wrapped up. There's many we have many facets of our name, but um, <laughs> it's a it's an old farm that was owned for many years by the Goodnow family in Sudbury, Massachusetts, and uh, we love the name and we love the connection to cacao. In that, a lot of people don't understand the cacao beans come from small family farms. So it was just a nice connection to both the place here and to cacao in general. Well, now, how did you get into the chocolate business? My wife and I were living in Los Angeles, and we had come across Kraft Chocolate many years ago, 12, 15 years ago now maybe, um, and it just opened our eyes to what cacao, what chocolate really could be and what it was. We had no idea that it came from a fruit um, that it was farmed on small family farms, that there were different genetic varieties, that had different flavors. You know, we, we've been used to the mass market chocolate with a ton of additives and a ton of sugar. Yeah. So this was just something that was really unique and interesting to us. And then that inspired us enough that we started making our own chocolate for a little bit um, at home, and that grew into the desire to do this full time because we just You did this so in your kitchen. We did. <laughs> and, the, uh, and everyone can do it. I mean, people don't realize you can just get beans. Uh, easy to get beans now. It's much easier than it was then. Um, off the internet, um, there's a great place called called Chocolate Alchemy, um, and they sell lots of really interesting beans from all over the world. And you can roast them in your oven. Um, you can. There's videos online how to do this. I think we actually have one on our website. You can winnow it with a, a rolling pin and a plastic bag and a hair dryer. <laughs> And then uh, grind it up with a like a, a blade coffee grinder. It's uh, you know it's a simple way to do it, but they even make small home machines to to conch and to, to refine and conch. So you can make you can make some pretty um, good tasting chocolate right in your own home. Hey, what's conching? Con- I know you mentioned that to us before. But... Yeah, conching is a process specific to chocolate, where basically you're air. There's different ways of doing it, but basically you're aerating the chocolate. And you're having certain volatile compounds in the chocolate uh, gas off, mainly acids, um, and that's affecting 
the flavor of the chocolate. There's also there's a lot of different compounds in chocolate that create flavor. There's over 500, and the amount of time you conch and the temperature at which you conch has a big impact on how those combine to create flavor. You know, I want to mention, by the way, that um, of course we we knew about your chocolate from a long time ago, but uh, for the last two years, you've totally um, you, you've killed the whole category of dark chocolate with the um, Specialty Food Association and the Fancy Food Show and the Sophie Awards. You you took it all. <laughs> we took it. Totally. We took it all last year and, and this year too. And this year, two years in a row, right? Yep. Um, now, I mean, it's, I, I remember working with uh, on a cookbook, a chef's cookbook, um, and when we got to all this chocolate stuff, I mean, I, I referred people to other publications because it was so complex. You're making it sound really simple, but to make really good chocolate, you have to know what you're doing. Yes, you, you <laughs> do, uh, but at the same time, you don't want to overthink it. You know, I, I, when I got, first got into this, there's so much chemistry involved, and there's so much of the, the genetics, and there's all these different things. But See, that was what was getting me. It was killing me. <laughs> well, yeah. But at the same time, when it comes right down to it, there's, there's really very little you can do in terms of the number of processes that affect the flavor of chocolate. You know, it's primarily... It, setting aside where you're getting the beans from, and that's a big part of it, but it's primarily roasting and conching that are giving you flavor. So those two things, you can do all kinds of chemical analysis, and you could be a, you know, you could be a chemist and know exactly how all the different compounds that are in it, but how those things react to create flavor, it's a very, it's a, a very organoleptic thing. You're, you're just, you're tasting, you know, and you're adjusting, um, you know, pretty small amount of variables so it's it's interesting though that there's even though there's not that many moving parts for lack of a better word you still can have hundreds or th- I mean you have thousands of different variations even with the same bean you'll have different chocolate makers and every single yeah you mentioned the bean completely, yeah completely it, different you, you mentioned the bean because one of um, one of the designations that's become foremost in the field of, of confection is um, bean to bar. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, it, it hasn't been that long ago when nobody even mentioned that. Yeah, it wasn't really around till the early 2000s. And it was some people who had a lot of foresight and realized there's something really unique here, which is that chocolate is a food, not just a candy. Like, it's a fruit, grows on a tree. And much like wine grapes or coffee beans, these different fruits have different flavors. So you can make food that reflects the flavors of the fruit that it comes from. So that's really what, what bean to bar is all about. Now, the other what, thing what, is, what do you do to, fi- to find the, the beans that you think, you think are best? Do you sort of just like wander through the forest and look at a <laughs> no, tree no, and say, no. that, that, that looks like, looks like a good one over there? Yeah. No, it's, no it's, there are, still are people who do that. We work, we work with a geneticist who... Okay, um, all right. Yeah, he'll, he'll go down. He, uh, last year, obviously, since COVID, this hasn't happened, but um, he travels all over the world, and he went down to the Amazon rainforest, and he found some previously unknown cacao genetics uh, in the forest. But even then, you don't know if that's going to make good-tasting chocolate. So there's so many steps for us. 
we could go into the forest and say, hey, look at these pods, you know, let's make some chocolate. But there's all the steps of when you harvest, it has to be harvested from a, a pretty wide area because not all the pods ripen at the same time. There's all different genetics mixed into that. You need to ferment it and dry it at the source, and how that's done has a big impact on the flavors. So it's really about the whole chain. What is happening at origin from start to when the beans are bagged and leave the country that you need to understand and be able to have some, some impact on and connection to. Now, those countries, are which, which are the predominant countries? Well, predominant for making cacao for consumption in the world are West African countries. Ghana and Ivory Coast okay. are the two biggest. Now, okay. most of that cacao goes to mass market you know, chocolate companies who are you know, vastly underpaying for the cacao. There's all kinds of issues. Yeah, that's a whole big issue, another whole issue. That, that it's a whole issue, which actually is it's timely to talk about it now because there's a, we just signed on to a brief that is going to be heard in the U.S. Supreme Court on December 1st. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, we did, and it's, it's been brought by a group that has been very active trying to raise awareness of the, the less than optimal practices that the big chocolate companies use when sourcing their cacao. So they're saying that these companies are aiding and abetting, are the operative terms, um, the, the forced labor, child labor, because of the artificially low prices that they're paying for cacao. So we signed on to the brief. A number of other um, well-known bean-to-bar makers like Askinosi and Theo. Yeah, we know Sean pretty well. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, we'll see what happens. Even if, if they lose the, the case, it still is, is helpful to raise awareness and to move the process forward because the large companies really haven't done anything in the past 20 years. They said they were going to self-police and they are going to make changes, and it just there hasn't been much progress. So well, now, you mentioned Sean. I mean, do you, does your company do any of the stuff that he does? Like he has Chocolate University where he takes students in to live in these villages and work with in the industry in these villages and yeah do you do any of that stuff no we we don't we are nowhere near as as big we're we're a really really small operation so the stuff that we do is much more targeted like we work with a community in guatemala one of the first places that we found that had some really great cacao we uh we funded the i love guatemala by the way although i haven't been for a while i spent quite a bit of time there Oh, it's a and, beautiful uh, country, amazing it's country. It's just an amazing country, and it's had so much bad luck politically. It's a shame. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these countries, <laughs> lot, and, and it's it's really come to the fore now with COVID because we hear about all the political things that are happening, especially Nicaragua is just a disaster. Oh, it's a disaster. It's more political right. than it is here. But but anyway, we, we just, you know, we funded uh, construction of a new fermentation and drying facility for them. We we paid part of uh, salary for a manager to oversee the fermentation and drying each year. Um, we work with um, uh, the group in Colombia that we get cacao from to really dial in their fermentation and drying practices. So, you know, we're doing what we can on the scale that we are, and I think that that's something that every, or I should say a lot of small chocolate makers like us who are doing this, these kinds of things are very important to them. So they're very aware of labor issues. You know, they're very careful about well, I mean, what does the Supreme Court, I mean, what, how does that yeah, come into I, I, I wanted to ask a question about that. What, yeah. what remedy, I mean, who's, who's suing who, and what, what remedy are they looking for? 
Yes. So that so it's basically there was there was a and I, I'm going to botch this badly because this has been something that um, it came up very recently. It was only about a month ago um, I was first contacted, and we've had a lot of conversations. But to be to be honest with you, all of the minute details, the, the brief had changed so drastically in the couple times that I've seen it. The last one, the the, the most recent brief that got submitted i only saw it two days ago <laughs> so, oh, so really? that was yeah yeah so um basically it's that these companies there was proposed legislation um many years ago in the early 2000 hark i think it's the harkin engel act that said look these companies need to be there need to be legislation to, to say these companies are going to change the way they they source their cacao and they need to be to ensure that what they're getting is is at the very least, slave labor free. And the companies lobbied very hard against that and said, no, we're going to police ourselves. So they said, we're going to make improvements. And every, you know, they, they give like a five-year timeline. And at the end of that five years, they push it back another five years. So at this point, this group is saying, look, this, this, hasn't, this hasn't changed fast enough. And the the legal the, the legal stand, standing is not really the right word but I mean they have standing obviously they wouldn't be in front of the Supreme yeah, Court but exactly. the, the legal approach is the the terms aiding and abetting that they are aiding and abetting um, child labor child, yeah. child labor so so in terms of the remedy I am I am not entirely sure exactly what they're hoping to get out of this. Okay. Um, and what the the legis- what the the ruling would be, so that's really something. I will actually forward you guys the the amicus brief um, when we're done here, because it's something that I also really want to figure out what the what the ideal hope is. Because I think at the end of the day, it's probably very unlikely that this is going to be a favorable ruling from the Supreme Court. This is really about raising awareness. Yeah, right. Okay, I couldn't get that. That's true. Uh, You know, I mean, people forget. You mentioned um, chocolate is fermented, isn't it? Yeah, it's like wine grapes that's fermented and dried. That's how a lot of flavors develop, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it has such a, a... so many intricacies, the whole production, and such a long history. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's changed, though, from, first of all, nobody liked it when it was uh, cheap, you know, in Europe. And then all of a sudden it became expensive and became valuable. Okay. Then the, the um, we have all those, um, the, the people in in. Europe, particularly in, well, in, in um, I guess in, in Switzerland and also in uh, the UK, um, the taste was for milk chocolate. So now all of a sudden, the highest ranked chocolate is for most people, not not everyone. I know people who can't stand dark chocolate, but mm. it, the high cacao, it's our tastes for chocolate have changed. Now, wasn't wasn't there a revolutionary discovery of something called lint who, who dis- so, discovered well, how to make yeah. chocolate that really tasted good? And <laughs> up until then, it really hadn't tasted very good at all. Yeah, R- Rudolf Lint invented the conch. So we were talking about that earlier. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. And, and the, the, the popular 
you know, the popular, the, the mythology is that he just left this machine on over the, by accident over the weekend, and when he came back, he's like, wow, this, this is really smooth and tasty. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's really what turned everything um, from, up until then, it was mainly drinking chocolate into eating chocolate. Oh, right. Yeah. I see. Okay. And, of course, I hate his ass. He, he looks creepy. <laughs> you hate what? He looks creepy, Lint, in those ads. Oh, I think, yeah, a lot of those old, those old drawings of people, it's probably, yeah, uh, yeah. a creepy. Now, he's, 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 he's liquid chocolate, the same as cocoa. When so, we, used to, we used to get cocoa when we, when we were kids. It came as a powder, and you put, it in, put the powder in a cup, and then you put hot milk over it and stir it all up, and then you had a mug of cocoa. So there's a few different, okay, there's a lot wrapped up in, in that. So um, the term cacao versus cocoa is yeah. is not really a hard and fast thing. Okay, uh, right. Generally, the, the, the rule that, that we use, just because it, it seems to be the easiest for people to, to, to wrap their heads around, is it's cacao up and to the point where we turn it into, well, I shouldn't say that. So cacao is what it is. So cacao powder is what you get after you press out the cocoa butter and you grind up the remaining press cake into a powder that's cacao powder. You could also call it cocoa powder. There's no rule that says you have to call it one or the other. So we call it cacao powder just because that's, the cacao is the term that we are around all the time because we are there from bean all the way to the point it comes here, and that's where we're used to. So we only change the term to cocoa once we mix it with sugar, and it becomes hot cocoa. So what we do, which is something a lot of people don't do, is we fresh press our own cocoa butter from the beans so we can make our own cacao powder and then make our own hot cocoa. So that's what you're drinking when you're drinking. I mean, you can drink cacao powder by itself with no sugar, just 100% cacao powder, or mix it with anything. And that was kind of what, it, in, in, well, I shouldn't say that, but you know, Chocolatl, which is the drink that sort of started this whole thing, um, you know, back with the, the Mayans and the Aztecs, that was just crushed up you know, cacao beans that had different spices added to There's no sugar back then. Europeans added sugar. But that was that was the drink. So... Yeah, you had to have that to be strong in battle. <laughs> it was a big, yeah. Montezuma, before Montezuma, like, it also was for sexual prowess. Yeah, exactly, yes. Many, many cups of cacao. So that, that got Cortez's attention. He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and plus you can, and it was used as money. Cacao was used as money. So, yeah, if I can grow money on trees. So he started, you know, planting cacao trees. And then he's the one who brought it back to Europe. And the Europeans added sugar. And hence we have, we have basically hot cocoa. Now, was that Cortez or Pizarro? That was Cortez. Cortez, okay. Yep. Now, what, tell us a little bit more about your, your products. They're all bars, right? We do all bars except for the hot cocoa, yes. Oh, yeah, the hot cocoa. I forgot about that. And um, you have new products and bars. I mean, are you changing the seat, the flavorings, or what? So, yeah, it's it's basically we have a signature line, which is beans where we have gone down to origin and we know the farmers, we know the whole fermentation and drying process start to finish. Oftentimes we have our own custom fermentation and drying protocols to get the flavors we want. 
Um, but then you also, you want to, we love flavor. I mean, we just love the idea that cacao has all these complex, unique flavors. And then we like mixing that with other complex, unique flavors. So rather than just adding, you know, uh, you know, mint or <laughs> some other, which is nothing wrong with that, but just yeah, like the idea of mixing comp, you know, complex flavors to get a different flavor experience. So we, we have a whiskey bar, so we soak the nibs in whiskey so they actually absorb all these different flavors from the whiskey itself. So you've got the whiskey and the, the flavors of the cacao mixing together. Um, we just did a, um, a milk bar. First time we'd done that. Oh, that was the new one. Yeah, you did a milk bar, huh? Interesting. We did. We did. We, we were resistant to it for a long time, um, but people really wanted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, I I'm really never going to do it. But, it I hate well, it, it was, it, but I really liked it. Oh, thank you Yeah, very that's much. true. Thank it you. doesn't taste like what you're thinking of as milk no, chocolate, rather. Right? You're thinking of the English stuff. Hey, the yeah, so we found a good... The Europeans won't, won't allow British chocolate into the EU... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got it's got milk in it. It's not chocolate. Not chocolate. <laughs> I know. I know. So American chocolate is, is uh, American milk chocolate is is looked down upon by by, by many different places. But uh, and and understandably for for many reasons. But this was and the reason I resisted it was I, I still want the flavors of the cacao to be apparent and you know, what what flavors is and also it's hard to find really good dry powdered milk. A lot of powdered milk, basically all powdered milk in the country is made of these very large facilities because it's expensive equipment. It's a you know, large industrial process. So finding one that really had an attention to detail when it came to flavor and also with sourcing, it's really hard to do. So we, we finally came across this place called Organic West, which is out in California. And they source from small family farms, you know, all kinds, you know, no growth hormones, the whole thing. And the flavor of the milk was really, the milk powder was really fresh. It had, it had a really nice creamy flavor to it, which a, a lot of, for me, a lot of the other powders had sort of a rancid taste to it. So this really combined well with the cacao, and we could balance it so it's not overly milky. You still get the flavors of the, of the cacao. And the cacao we use has a really nice like cinnamon raisin bagel toasty flavor. So that combined with the milk is just a really nice combination. So you're, you're so you're adding powdered milk to cocoa to make so, your milk chocolate. So we're adding powdered milk to chocolate. Okay. So we're actually grinding the nibs, which are yeah. the combined. You know, cacao beans are the cocoa solids plus the cocoa butter. They're about half cocoa butter. Right. So when you grind those, you get a liquid, you know, which is cocoa liquor. Then you add sugar, you have chocolate, and then you add milk, and you have milk chocolate. Well, I'll tell you, (laughs) Um, I hope it's healthy because I ate a lot of yours. (laughs) Well, I I hope so, too. I I ate a ton of it. My kids ate a ton of it. Yeah. The preponderance of medical research is that cacao and, and, you know, the the antioxidants that are are in it are are very good for you and improve memory and heart function and all that stuff. So we don't really talk about that just because we're not, you know, we're not, Medical professionals. So yeah, nor, nor am I, but I mean, yeah. I, I, I like dark chocolate and red wine, so I should be healthy. So. <laughs> you, should be, you should live forever. Good for you. That's now, I guess the only thing we need to add here is um, uh, how do people get it? 
Um, easiest way to get it is to go to our website, which is goodnowfarms.com. All our bars are available right now. We're, we've run out of a couple, but uh, as of right now, everything's in stock. And as we get closer to the holidays, my guess is that's going to change. So, so get yours now. And in fact, uh, when, when is this going to air? <laughs> not, not sure. Soon. All right. I just posted. In fact, it's, uh, I haven't even sent out an email yet, but I just posted our newest bar, which is a, a bar from Brazil, Bahia. Um, it's a really great bean from this single estate uh, in the Bahia region of Brazil. And it's got these great, like, dark cherry notes. But the, the limited release bars we're doing are to focus on really great cacao beans we get from a lot of producers all over the world, but we can't go and visit. So we just make one batch. Yeah, <laughs> tell us many bars, <laughs> and yeah, We have them while we have them, and then, you know, we're on to the next one. So yeah. get it while you can. Great. Well, thank you so oh, much for, for joining well, us. Tom, it was really fun talking to you. and and uh, sharing our appreciation with your product with our listeners. Of course, thanks, as always, for the interest. And don't forget, December 1st is the date for the Supreme Court. You can actually um, dial in and listen to the arguments. Okay. There you go, okay. All right. Does, does Amy like chocolate? <laughs> I, I hope so. I, I, I'm not holding out hope, but, but maybe. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station www.aspstation.net Welcome back. Next up, uh, we have Michael Pollock, who is, uh, well, we're really blessed to have so many fine chocolatiers going out. And Michael is uh, the CEO of Maggie Lion Chocolatiers, Chocolatiers, and he's going to tell us all about what's special about Maggie Lion chocolates. Well, we like them a lot. We did. We ate all of those too. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they're in Atlanta. Go way to go, Atlanta. Go ahead. We're going to be talking to Michael Pollock, who actually is responsible for a few extra pounds of me and Peter. Um, he's the CEO of, of um, Maggie Lion Chocolatiers. And, uh, I mean, before we launch into where it's all standing right now, um, everybody's going to ask off the bat, who's Maggie Lyon? So why don't we get that out of the way? Sure. So the name Maggie Lyon <clears throat> is derived from... The original uh, owner's grandmother's name. Uh, her name was Margaret Lyon, and she ran a stagecoach stop in Ohio until yeah, she wasn't was in that the interesting? 90s. I thought that was really sweet. <laughs> uh, and so they were wanting to, you know, come up with a name, and they wanted to put a, you know, kind of a person behind the company, and they felt that Maggie had more of a southern ring than Margaret. So her name is right. Margaret Lyon, but they called her Maggie. So that's where the name Maggie Lyon came from. Uh, now, then, um, you, you were you always in the chocolatier business? Uh, I personally, yes, that's been my entire career. Um, oh, really? Now, my parents, my parents bought the business in 1988. Okay. I came out of college in 1990, and. 
we started working together. And the plan was that um, my father was, you know, going into, he was coming out of computer software and coming into looking for a small business that he and I could build and run together. Uh-huh. And this is where we came across the candy business. They bought the business in January of 98. I started working with them in May of 90 uh, when I got out of school. Now, where, where was it? It wasn't in Ohio at a truck stop anymore. No, it wasn't. So the business was started here in Atlanta um, oh, okay, as right. a retail store. Uh-huh. Um, and the woman who started the business, name was Ruth Thornburg, and she started it literally just as a small 600-square-foot retail store, making the candy in the back, selling it you know, out front. And that was in 1981. In 1983, she had the opportunity to buy the candy-making equipment from Rich's Department Stores, which is just a regional department store here in Georgia. And at the time, they were actually manufacturing the candies themselves, and they had their own bakery as well. But they wanted to get out of the manufacturing side of the uh, operation. So they sold their equipment to Ruth, and Ruth started wholesaling the candies back to them. And Ruth was a wonderfully creative person, um, but not the best business, you know, mind. <laughs> uh, so she quickly, and when I say quickly, in about after four or five years, realized that, you know, the wholesale was a little bit, you know, different animal than the retail. And she was looking for somebody who could, you know, come and take the business to the next level. Uh, and that's where myself and my mother and father came in. And we bought the business. And, you know, as my father says, you know, coming out of computer software, he thought it would take him, you know, four to six months to, you know, turn the business around. And then realized two years later he's still trying to figure out how to make chocolate. <laughs> It was a little slower process than uh, than we had all anticipated, but uh, but it was a lot of hard work and a lot of teamwork, and you know we we gradually started to build the business and you know started forming uh, relationships with you know with other retailers and kind of broadening the scope. Um, you you had a little um, dalliance with uh, the West Coast too, right? We did. So in ninety. Three, um, we actually bought a company called Connie's Handmade Toffee, and Connie's Toffee was being manufactured on the West Coast, and it was being sold nationally. Um, the owners were ready to retire. We had known them for years, kind of you know as trade show friends. Right. We'd be next to each other at trade shows, and yeah. you know across the aisle from each other, and it's almost like camp friends, you know, with yeah, the trade we show, that, yeah. you know, partners. And so they approached us because we really didn't have a product <clears throat> that was similar to theirs, and they thought that it would really complement our product line well, uh, which it did. And it gave us entry into some national uh, retailers like Neiman Marcus and Williams Sonoma and and such, who we still continue to work with today. Um, and so that was in 1993. And then in 95, we were actually awarded the uh, license 
to be the official chocolate right. champ for the Olympics in 96. Yep. Right. So that was a so big the, jump in production, huh? That was a big jump in production. It was, uh, that really is what kind of gave us more of a national footprint. Um, you know, we were, we were much more regional, you know, at that point, serving the southeast and, you know, the eastern half of the United States. But through some of those relationships, you know, with, um, you know, not only retailers, but with, uh, with corporate uh, programs we were doing throughout the country, it really kind of launched us into some opportunities that we've been able to, you know, to stick with and capture today. Um, so we, you know, we produced... You, uh, go ahead. You, you um, position yourself as... Um, First of all, of course, uh, any uh, any um, uh, chocolatier of worth would, would claim the first is the, the spectacular products, the great products you you start with. Um, but um, you, you still say that much of what you do processing the chocolates is hand done, and I'm, I keep can't, trying to get my head around how, with the kind of volume you do, that you can do all that like decorating the little salted caramels with the, by hand and so on. How many, how many 10,000 some or other boxes you produce or how, how often? I mean, how do you do that? How do you keep this artisanal hand, hands-on uh, going? We, we have a large dedicated staff um, and we do still what I'm going to call hand-touch every product. Now it doesn't mean that every piece of chocolate is hand dipped. You know, the you know, the sea salt caramels for instance are going down in a robing line, but we are, you know, sprinkling the salt on, you know, by hand. You know, we are, you know, decorating, you know, the chocolates, whether they're, you know, drizzled or, you know, topped with nonpareils or you know, just a just a swirl that is still done by hand on the on the enrobing line. It's amazing. I just can't figure out how you could possibly do that. Well, there's you have two different options. You can either dedicate an employee or two to doing the decorations, which adds to the expense, or you can use a mechanicalized you know, vehicle to do that. Yeah. And if you're using a, you know, mechanical vehicle to do it, it's going to look like a cookie cutter kind of mass produced product. When you have someone who's doing it by hand, you're going to get those kind of tiny imperfections and you're going to get, you know, some things that, you know, when you're sprinkling it on, it's going to be a little bit heavier in one spot, a little bit lighter in another spot. Interesting, yeah. But that's what gives it the, you know, that's what kind of gives it that um, hand-on appeal. And we feel that that's very important to the product. We're using Mm -hmm. premium ingredients. You know, we're still cooking our caramels from scratch in copper pots and laying it out on marble tables. And we're using whole cream. And so we feel like if we're using, you know, the quality and the premium ingredients and we're 
using quality and premium packaging, you have to have that next step because that's what we feel people are going to expect from the product. Uh, so, Were you influenced at all by Fran Bigelow? Because that's her signature, the salted caramel. Oh, she's definitely you know put the footprint on those in the, you know, in the United <laughs> States. Yeah, and I think the reality is, you know, everybody kind of followed her lead with that. Um, There are there are very few things in the you know in the candy world that don't seem to you know kind of come and go. You know, there are flavor profiles that you know will kind of. You know, they'll have their heyday for a year or two, and they'll kind of, you know, come into popularity and then fade out. And there yeah, are, that was you know, that packaging. sister duo that uh, I haven't seen them around for a while, but they used to have really wacky flavors from all over the world. Um, they were always at the PSC Food Show. Do you remember um, where they're from? <laughs> he wants to buy them. <laughs> well, I mean, this woman and her sister, I think they were from New York. Um, You're not talking about it, uh, Vosges. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, out of Chicago. Out of Chicago, okay. Yeah, is it, I haven't it seen v- them before. V-O-G-E-S? Yes. Yeah, that kind of purple packaging. Yeah. yeah. I've never seen so many different products and flavors in my life. I <laughs> mean, and those and those flavor profiles are kind of exactly what we're talking about, right? So you yeah, have, long, you know, a carmine. Are they still functioning? Yeah. Exactly. Are they still yeah. running? I mean, or not? I believe they are. I don't I see them around them. very much. Um, you know, they kind of made a big splash. Yeah. And then I haven't really seen them around. Um, well, she but, was, I mean, the, the the one sister was a glamour puss, and the other one was really, I'm like, I can't say that. <laughs> Excuse me. I'll well, we take that one back. We hope she's not, we hope she's not listening. My, my dear, we really, we, really didn't, we really didn't mean it. And um, I don't, and you, I don't know them really at all dumb, personally. Uh, let me well. ask a really dumb question that I should have asked on the way by. It sounds to me like when when the lady started out in Orlando with her store, she actually had a shop. Now, do you, do you have shops, or do you just sell retail through? And wholesale, they do a lot of wholesale. So we actually do still have a shop on the front of our factory. You do, okay. Um, and when when Ruth started, she had the original retail store. And when she moved into wholesale, she closed down the retail location and moved the retail location onto the front of her factory. And so okay. when we bought the business, we had the retail store on the front of the factory. We've since moved, but we've maintained that retail presence on the front of the factory. Okay. And we use that, you know, for a lot of R&D. So, you know, we'll put products out, you know, new products that, you know, we want to come out with or new flavors and such, and we'll use that and, you know, kind of get, you know, people's reactions or packaging and, you know, and things. And then it's also nice just to have a retail store where you can sell, you know, the products that you're manufacturing, some of the things that you have, 
you know, you've made, you know, a few more than, you know, what you needed on the wholesale that you can sell through the retail side. But, yeah. uh, but we let have me, not expanded beyond that one store. Let me, tell, let me tell you a little story. This is a chocolatier in the small town of Saint-Rémy oh, right. in, in Provence where, <laughs> uh, where Vincent van Gogh chopped his ear off, just, in case, just to put a dot okay. on the map. But there was this chocolatier there. Some, somebody approached us, why they, where they found our name, I'm not sure, and asked us if, we, if we'd like to market his chocolates in the U.S., and we, we, we declined for a number of reasons, including the fact that they were very expensive. But the wonderful thing about his shop was right on the main street in San Remy, and you could see him making his chocolates in the, in the, from the window. But if you walked inside, there was a big bowl on the counter. You've been picking yourself. And in the big bowl on the counter went the rejects, <laughs> the, one, the ones that were misshapen or didn't... <laughs> didn't just have the right number of, it wasn't, wasn't sea salt sprinkles, but they used, to sprink, they used to sprinkle herbs and spices on, if you like, squares of chocolate. They were all the same square, the same size and everything, and they had a number on them. And if you bought the chocolate, you got this little um, pamphlet that has the, the numbers attached to the flavors. But the best deal uh, was so you could walk in. It was very clever. <laughs> But we, we priced out what it cost to air freight on top of the production of the chocolate. It was so sensitive to temperature and everything like that. It would all have to have been air freighted. Of course. And uh, it, it made no economic sense whatsoever starting out. With, they were very expensive to start with. And it, was all, it, was all, it was all a little bit like Tom Hanks in the, <laughs> in the, in the movie. You know, life, life is like a box of chocolates. Exactly. <laughs> so, so sometimes you get one thing, and one sometimes you get another. I I have always wondered how Godiva, in particular, because they're just everywhere, how how they can maintain a shop in an airport. You have to sell a lot of chocolates. To, you have to, to sell a lot of chocolates. To, 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 and they do. The thing about airports, and, and we we actually service a number of companies that sell in the airports. Okay. The amount of foot traffic that you have coming through there is just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. And it's all it's all just statistics, right? If you've got a hundred thousand people passing, you know, by your store every day. X number are going to stop, and X number that stop are going to purchase. The beauty of the airport, if you really think about it, is that a lot of the people that are traveling through there are traveling through on a expense account. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they're going to go in and they're going to pick something up for themselves, and it's kind of a little treat, and they're going to be able to expense it, you know, to their business. Or they want to pick something up because they're going to a meeting and they want to bring something to put down on the meeting, you know, at the meeting. And so they've got instead that. Of, they instead of donuts. Huh? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and then everybody else that's coming through there, for the most part, but not everybody, are on vacation. 
And so it's no different than if you go to the shore or if you go to, you know, another city. It's an indulgence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So. Yeah, I wondered, does the ferry um, building in San Francisco qualify for that? And who's that Michael, um, oh, the chocolatier? Hmm? Is he Rick Uti or something like that? Oh, uh, yeah. Rick Uti. Mm-hmm. Rick I'm not that familiar. I'm not that familiar with them. Uh, I think he gave that up. I mean, did I often wonder how he ran that? Because the rent must have been phenomenal in that. And it's not an airport. You don't get thousands through the ferry building. I mean, it's a tourist destination, but not the biggest airport. So. I well, and that's the thing. The retail. The retail side of the business is. It's a. It's a tough business. Um, like there are. <laughs> What's that? I'd like anything with food. I mean, the profit margin so slim. Oh, absolutely, and it's very you know it's very regional. When you come across, I mean, Pittsburgh has some you know good local chocolate companies that have been there forever. You know what? I keep asking all these people we interview, nobody, not including the. The Greeks. Nobody can explain to me why we have so many Greek chocolatiers around Pittsburgh. We have the, no, the, the whole, Ferrises. We have the the what? The whole Ohio Valley region. You know that Ohio, Indiana, the Northeast, Pennsylvania, New England. That whole area. You know, people came in. People immigrated from you know from Europe. And they brought a lot of the traditions with them. The weather is much more conducive because you can sell the products, you know, for a longer period of time during the year than you can, you know, in the south or in the, you know, the west. Um, And they really became much more of a kind of like family tradition. And that's where the retail really kind of pays off is – People who are coming in and they're buying it because they remember it growing up and that's what their parents had or that's what their grandparents had. Yeah, look, look at Hershey. I mean, <laughs> that whole town with that stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. My, my, my brother, my brother and his wife and their and their sons, all, they they have the same box of Quality Street chocolate assortment that, that we had when we were growing up when we were when we were small children. Mm-hmm. And they were curious enough. They were made. They were made by a family, which once upon a time actually had a founding member of the family as, a, as the Secretary of State or the equivalent. Okay. His name was Lord Lord Macintosh of Halifax, and Macintosh's Quality Street was. I mean, it, it was it was a part of the Christmas season, just like a tree. Well, you know, I, I find chocolatiers really and their, interesting and their people. Are in their, their fingers are in the dish all the time. <laughs> uh, Michael, I find chocolatiers so interesting. I mean, do you do um, kind of wild things like um, Sean Askinosi? You know, we with don't. his chocolate university? No, we really don't. Um, I mean, that's a whole life job. He was a trial, a crack trial lawyer, you know, criminal defense lawyer. Well, there are a lot of people who come out of other professions and, mm-hmm. you know, and come into this because it's intriguing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's hard. You know, people, you know, 
people come into the business thinking that it is glamorous and it's so, you know, different and so unique than what they've done, you know, in previous life. And it can be glamorous and it is different and it is unique. But it's also, you know, it's it's a difficult business. It's tough. Um, you know, trying to trying to establish yourself on the retail, you know, market is not easy. Um, trying to build relationships with retailers is one of the you know the biggest challenges that you have. And sure, that, sure. fortunately, for us, is one of the things that we've done a very good job of. Yeah, because a lot of people are going to have, or now, what's the common term now is pivoting from um, you know, the, what they, the market was to what the new market has to be, which is retail. <laughs> so, um, well, are, the, we haven't talked at all, Michael, about um, your products. I'm going to vouch for them. I'm going to vouch um, for particularly the toffee, which is my favorite thing, and um, the dark chocolate. Um, Peter likes the, the things that we thought were turtles, but I understand are paws. Uh, and but you have you have truffles, you have you have so many products, and um, so I just wanted to make sure that people knew that. Must have your website so that people can actually not just listen to me rattling these things off, but they can go and look up your your inventory um, on Certainly your website. MaggieLyon dot com. Just M-A-G-G-I-E-L-Y-O-N dot com. Dot com. Well, we certainly have enjoyed the chocolates, and we have enjoyed talking to you. And uh, I'm, you seem to be holding up better than most with this pandemic, so that's good. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. And uh, Next up, we've got Susan Palmer of the Little Red Kitchen Bake Shop which is not specifically a chocolate bar, but these pie-sized cookies have chocolate chips in them. And yeah. Peter ate that one. I ate that one, too. Big. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was big. No question about that. I'm, I'm several, several pounds heavier as a result of this entire program. I do it only in your service listeners, so you, you, you must recognize that, and I hope you enjoy hearing about it. The little something pie shop. <laughs> little red kitchen bake shop. Okay. Okay, Susan Palmer, little red kitchen bake shop. Uh, congratulations on your two Sophie awards. That must have been thrilling. She got two. That's Thank greedy. you so much. Yeah. That's kind of greedy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it, was, it was thrilling. It was a big surprise. I definitely was not expecting to win two. I mean, winning one is an honor. Um, two is just, I was absolutely blown away and, and really just, yeah. just touched Silver that. and bronze, they won. And, uh, yeah. you know, it was such a tough year, wasn't it? I mean, you probably had to submit your um, product twice. I actually did not because the product is frozen um, and it was still oh, right. within, within the shelf life that I... I didn't feel like I needed to resubmit, uh, so I just left things as it was. So it had been sitting in the freezer since when did we submit? Um, 
April or May. I can't even remember. It was yeah, well, it was a long time ago. I know. Yes, yeah. yeah. And that is also sort of just a testament that, you know, they baked it off. They followed the instructions on there. They baked it, and it was still absolutely delicious. <laughs> well, I, I froze ours when, when it came, the sample cookie pie yes. that I got that you sent. Yes. And, and my husband took it out of the freezer and started eating it. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, and went through it. Now let me tell you what he was doing with yeah, it. We, we were we were supposed to bake it. He never told me that. No, you no, were supposed no. to so bake it. No, the sample that I sent you was already baked. Oh, okay. baked. Okay. I mean, I, I think I'd have yeah, known if it wasn't baked. Uh, anyway, just just, uh, just in case you're wondering if I liked it, I I ate the whole thing. You know what he you did? Eat eating it, he ate it for breakfast with heavy cream on it. <laughs> oh wow, that's a rich well, It's, re- it's joke, really, you know. really funny. There's a woman chef who's much associated with David Chang, called uh-huh. Christina Tozzi, and she has a dish on her menu called cereal milk. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. well, I, I tell you what, yeah. this, the cereal milk of your tart is out of, out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, it. For breakfast, it has oats and it has peanut butter in it. So it's oh, that's it. Healthy. Tell me this. I mean, I first of all, of course, I, I noticed your awards, which is almost a sweep of the category. But then the the actual name of your bake shop struck me. Why is it called Little Red Kitchen Bake Shop? Well, so I um, I have a food blog I'm not very active with it anymore which I started in 2011 and the name of the blog is called Girl in the Little Red Kitchen and that's okay. because the apartment that I was living in at the time was tiny um, it was a co-op so I owned it and when we purchased it the oven was so small that only a quarter sheet pan could fit in there <laughs> and uh, <laughs> red has always been my favorite color so my husband let me paint the walls red, and the name just came to me. It just felt really catchy and fun. And when I decided to start the bake shop, I got rid of the girl in the and just went with Little Red Kitchen Bake Shop. Well, you know, it fascinated me because we've always had a red kitchen. And I'm talking about living, a, a, well, I mean, even around the globe, you know, <laughs> Well, Always we had a red kitchen. You know, remember the red room in the house we rented in Washington? Oh, that was the we had a bedroom that was glass windows on all sides, and we printed, mm-hmm. painted the whole thing red, forgetting forgetting that when we were moving out of the rental, we would have to fix it. So we had to paint it twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So but we, so it, and that wasn't really supposed to be a bedroom. It was just we used it as a bedroom. It was like sleeping mm-hmm. in the treetops. It was sort yeah. of a little sunroom off of the main room. So, oh, nice. yeah. But yeah. Anyhow, over this over was my favorite house, actually. <laughs> I mean, it was all horizontal. Every other time we've lived any place, it's been vertical. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, so, anyhow... I, Tell me how you got started on this big shop. Well, sure. You started um, with the so blog or not? I started. I did start with the blog. I am completely self-taught, 
Um, the same year that I started the blog, I entered a local cooking competition in Brooklyn called The Takedown. And the person that organized it, he does them in different categories. So he has a chili takedown, a bacon takedown, a cookie takedown. And the first one that I did was the cookie takedown. And there is a judges and a People's Choice Award. And I won, it was so long ago, the People's Choice, if I remember correctly. And I wasn't expecting it. And it was such a, it was such a fun surprise. I made a um, triple chocolate cookie with a duck fat caramel in the center. It was wow. very A duck fat caramel? Decadent. A duck fat caramel, yes. Um, the triple chocolate cookie that's on my website now is a version of that cookie, minus the caramel, um, that I won with, um, with some, some changes to it. And then um, I also, I entered the ice cream kick down. I won the people's judges. I won, I think I won the entire thing. I can't remember. It was so long ago. And then the following year in 2012, I did win the people's judges choice of the cookie take down again. Um, so I, I held my title, and I won the Good. entire thing. And that sort of got the ball rolling with everything. Um, my blog was starting to pick up. I wasn't very happy with my the job that I was working. Um, there was real no, no growth for me um, in that position. And I tried looking for other jobs. I was trying to maneuver into... Um, like an office job in the food industry, and I was interviewing but not really having luck. And I just decided to take things into my own hands. So I spent a year developing my chocolate chip cookie recipe. I um, worked with a consultant about learning how to run a business because my background is in music. So it definitely... So oh, they're definitely related. <laughs> yeah, you know, nothing was related here. Um, and then in 2014, uh, decided to just go for it. I ran a Kickstarter um, to get the initial funding and also get word out, which was successful. Um, and then by the fall of 2014, we got um, all the rewards out and was officially up and running. And then the next year, I quit my full-time job to go full-time with this and running my blog full-time as well. Thank you. Is the cookie pie um, the only thing you make, or is it just the, the signature thing? So I so I do traditional cookies, and then I have the cookie pies as well. When you order from my website, they come to you baked, like how I sent the sample, and there are six flavors for that. When I wholesale it to stores, I sell it frozen ready to bake, um, mostly because the cookie pies themselves you know, they're meant to be consumed immediately. They're not, they don't have a very long shelf life. They'll stay fresh for about a week unless you freeze it. And I thought it was just a really innovative idea um, to have this fresh-baked dessert that someone can make themselves going straight from the freezer to the oven. You don't have to defrost it. It's super easy. Um, it's all natural. There are no preservatives, artificial flavors. There are also no artificial colors. The candies on top of the monster cookie um, is made with a plant-based dye. And there was nothing um, like it in the market. And so that's how I came up with it. I've never seen anything like it. 
I couldn't believe Peter ate the whole thing. I mean, I might have had three bites. <laughs> I've, I've, never, I've never eaten anything like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, he's English, and he has a sweet tooth. You know, yeah. they all love their sweets. Yeah, my teeth are probably going to fall out. I'll send you a bill. <laughs> oh dear. Now, where where is your you you actually have a Brooklyn. bake shop? Yeah, but Brooklyn's a big have, place. I yes, I'm in Brooklyn. My kitchen is in Sunset Park. I do not have a physical retail location. I just work out of a commercial kitchen. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. Yes, yes. So people so people can't stop by for a sugar jolt in the morning on the way to work. No, unfortunately, they can't. They uh, they have to they have to order ahead. So, but you ship all over the country. Yes, I do ship nationally. Yeah, I mean, give me some idea of the volume. Um, well, you know, it, it really sort of depends uh, around the time of the year. Uh, we're getting into our busy season, so um, you know, it, it, it can be. Um, it can be anywhere from, you know, the slow season, sending, you know, and this isn't including a wholesale, which is a whole different side, from 10 to 20 boxes a week going, you know, up to 20 to 50 to 100 um, during the, the busy season. Hmm. I mean, how long does it take to bake one of those? So uh, to bake one, just about 15 to 20 minutes to bake. Um, they're... They actually, it's easy because they're easy to prep ahead of time. Um, and so I usually make, for most of the flavors, I'm able to sort of actually do exactly what, what I do to sell them at, the, at a grocery store is I make them, I freeze them, I take them out, and I put them in the freezer. Everything that gets ordered from my website is always baked fresh and sent out fresh, but I will try and do a little prep ahead of time if I can especially during the holiday season when we have the orders coming in and the volume and, you know, I want to, I don't want anyone to have to wait so we're trying to fulfill orders as quickly as possible. Well, do, do you custom um, bake them too? I mean, do you get a lot of custom requests? Um, not really. Our custom orders are generally on the more local side and that's when I'm doing cake um, and something of that nature. Occasionally I'll have someone request have a happy birthday, congratulations written on it, and I will do that. I usually write it with chocolate, mostly because it'll set and it'll pack fine with chocolate on there. I'll use tempered chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's, it's as is. Well, do you have any... Oh, I'm talking to him and I'm talking not in the phone. <laughs> Do you have any specific comments to make, Rabbit, since you ate it all? <laughs> no, I ate it all. That's all there is. That's all, that's, that's all there is. That's all there is to say. Sometimes, sometimes I had a slice before I went to bed. Sometimes, sometimes I put it in my cereal bowl in the morning and pour half and half over it. it it's, I'm very flexible. Yeah, you know you. Should, you should see him, Susan. He's he weighs about the same as he did in college. <laughs> and he's like, I've never seen him eat like yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop eating cookie pies. That's, a, that's 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 my New Year's resolution. 
I switched them. I switched them to fresh fruit after the cookie party. <laughs> At least for breakfast. Got to start the day off. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, folks. It sure is more interesting than granola. And I'm not going to say any more. I'm, I, I think I think I've already overcommitted the amount of input I had into this conversation. It's <laughs> 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 time for me to hang up. Well, uh, listeners, uh, you have to check out the website and get an idea of these cookies. I mean, they're rather unique. These pies. They are literally cookie pies with candy on top, no less. Uh, and uh, Susan, congratulations on your awards. And uh, I, I see great things in your future. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Continue to. Well, we've got to figure out where to go next for sweets, huh? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be more where that comes from. In fact, I'm halfway through a box. <laughs> Oh, that's right. I'm halfway through a box, and I and I shared some with the UPS man. That's right. And I, and I asked him, Mr. UPS man, how did you like the chocolate? He said it was fabulous. <laughs> so so he, we know he's a chocoholic, and that's why he takes such good care of us. Yes. In in the meantime, anyway, this yeah, we take good care of you on on the menu radio. We hope you enjoy the program as much as we enjoy creating it. And until next time, it's what. Bye-bye. Bye bye.